Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Shut up and sit down. Hey, you've reached Coach Lundy with Fourth Down Focus Podcast. We're here for another exciting show. I've got a wonderful guest today, someone I've known for about 10 years now. And I've seen progress from a player, actually, to an administrator at a university, leading young men now. I'm very excited to have James Sherman on the show. But before we dig into that, the NFL season is in full swing. You might not be at the game this year, but you can most certainly still be in on the action. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager now than ever. And there's always an online casino as well. It never closes. So head online to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Without further ado, James Sherman is a director of player development for the Texas State Bobcats, where he actually formerly played. How you doing, James? Doing well, Coach. It's good to be on here. It's good to see you. It's an honor to have you. As you know, I'm sure the majority of our listeners are parents and players in high school who kick, punt, and snap. In addition to that, we've got a handful of of high school coaches and a plethora of special teams college coordinators who come on the show just to learn and to hear from people like you that have been on both sides. So before we start and get into the content, could you briefly give us your story, like where you've been, where you currently are, and what your intention is moving forward? Sure, Coach. Um, so I started off, uh, grew up in Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, I was focused on soccer my whole life growing up and played a lot of club soccer, traveling around the Southeast, made a bunch of relationships doing that. And fortunate enough for me, in eighth grade, I started kicking footballs. And, you know, it was something that I didn't think that I was going to be able to do for a long time. Um, but diving into that process and meeting people and getting involved with a bunch of different organizations, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with kicking footballs and playing football in general. Um, and that led me to an opportunity to come out to Texas on scholarship to play for Texas State from 2014 to 2018. During that time, I finished two degrees, one in political science um, and one in economics and had the opportunity to stay here after that and work in the athletic department for um, the administration and alumni relations and for development. And during that time period, we had a new football coach that came in by the name of Jake Spavadol. I uh, was working an event and ended up meeting him and the rest is history. He hired me after about a week and been rolling ever since. You know, it's been a really good learning experience for me, uh, being around a lot of guys that I played with and a lot of guys that went through the recruiting process while I played at Texas State. So, you know, it's been a learning process, but I'm really enjoying it. I've really enjoyed following you. You know, I, I remember the first time we met and we've stayed in touch ever since. And you're one of those people that stand out. And uh, when we talked last week in pre-recording, when I asked you to be a part of the show, one of the first things you mentioned to me uh, and because I ask people's opinion, you know, what do you want to talk about? What do you feel strong, strongly about? What do you feel got you where you are? And one of the first things you said to me was the importance of teams and relationships. Could you explain a little bit about what you meant by that? Because that is one of the first things that you shared with me is I really want to discuss this. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think like it's kind of cliche and people talk about it all the time. But iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another man. You know, I think you are who you surround yourself with. And I think that that sounds super cliche. It's super overused. But man, I think there's a lot of weight that's true to that. And growing up, like we just talked about, I got to meet people like you. Got to meet people like Mike McKay, Brian, Brian Egan, you name it, all the way through coaches that really supported me and mentors that poured into me. 
And over the, over those years, I get to grew from those people that talked to me and that coached me and that poured into me and it made an effort to make me something better than I was at the time. And in that time period, I grew into something that honestly, from all the effort that they put into me, I got to step into the position that I am today. And, you know, without those relationships, I wouldn't be the person that I am. So connecting that back to teams, I think you can't succeed on your own as a specialist. You know, if you step into a fourth down and you go out there on the field by yourself, you're not going to make an extra point. You're not going to kick off well. You're not going to punt well. So there's a snap that goes into it. There's a hold that goes into it. There's protection that goes into it. There's schemes, there's coaches and all that kind of stuff that goes into it. And the same thing goes for just about anything in life. Yeah, what I liked about you, because I saw you initially as, as an athlete, of course, and, and probably 15, 16 years old. And oftentimes at that age and in those environments, you see kids try to separate from each other. You see kids try to internalize. You see kids try to be secretive about what it is that's maybe differentiating them from the competition. And I think what stood out to me, why you were kind of an anomaly, if you will, is that you were more than willing to share what it is to others, even those who may be competing with you for the same scholarships. You were one of the first people to say, you know, I kind of do it this way. I find comfort in this. I, I do this subtly different than you. I noticed that. And uh, I think that resonates with people that are in the evaluation side, perhaps, you know, the coaches that were looking at you, because it shows that you were not afraid of the competition. In fact, you, you were helping your competition because you knew that inside you were going to go home and you were going to address those issues that may be recurring, that may come up over time. Whereas the kids that were getting the feedback from you in that competitive environment were probably not going to go home independently when no one was looking and do the same things. So I think that you exuded confidence, but in a, in a positive way. I think it's misleading to, to portray or or exude confidence uh, and be selfish. You know, I think there's a big difference. And I think, I think it's very evident to those that have been evaluating talent for a number of years. Into that thought, I want to move into the building of personal brands. I think it's the utmost importance to address this. I think every kid has a brand, whether they know it or not. And I think that we need to bring light to what it means to build your personal brand, not James Sherman's, but maybe the person that James Sherman or people James Sherman is evaluating to maybe come and fill his shoes. Correct. So I think kind of leaning back into what we just talked about, just the people that I was surrounded by growing up through high school, like you think about it and kind of looking back, it's kind of funny because it was the Tyler Newsom's, it was the AJ Coles, it was the Kyle Bamberg's, it was the Austin McGinnis, it was the Ryan Santoso, you know, it was all these guys, Rafa Gaglione, like anybody you could possibly name that played football at the next level at a really high level. We all leaned into each other and we all made ourselves better. But I think at the the crux of all of that was our character. You know, we were surrounded by a lot of really good people. The specialist community is just completely filled with people that have extremely high character and they're solid people. And being able to understand that their strengths can help you out where you're weak is really something that takes more precedent than it does on the field as it does off the field. You know, it carries a lot of weight. So I think in regards to building a brand, in order to build a brand, you have to be able to be marketable. And in being marketable, you have to have something that's a good product, right? So I think if you look at Steve Jobs and Apple, like you can only market so much if you don't have anything to market, right? So in that perspective, you know, going up through high school and going through college, the process of just being a better person holistically is the only way that you can build that brand, right? So going off the field and being able to do everything you can possibly do to succeed at a high level, I think that carries a ton of weight. You know, that's a mindset thing that shows up as you keep working through that process that eventually you get to see the fruits of your labor. And that comes from training, you know, 
And I think one of the things that you definitely pulled out of me that a lot of coaches have tried to pull out of me is one of the things that makes you uncomfortable. You know, the way that you push people and the way that you still do, it will push you to be elite. So you could come into a training session and you could push this new idea of using shaving cream for your plant line and your tib fib and all these key buzzwords. And they're things that carry with you for time in time out because that attention to detail is so high. And I think connecting that to building your brand is something that you look at all aspects of your life to try to be marketable. And it's easy to be marketable if you have a high character and if you work through things very specifically through that process. I like the buzzword you use training. You know, I, I think that training is, is something that's not as valued as it should be. I think that kids and kids, I mean that demographic of ninth, 10th, 11th and current 12th grade kickers, punters and snappers fall into a trap of going to subjective thinkers, the stars and the rankings and stuff. I, I really think that the frequency in which you attend some of those evaluative events, if you will, it almost helps the more often you go, your ranking ever so slightly increases. You know, there's a huge cohort of four and a half stars in the kicking industry, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the lowest of which is three and a half. So when these college coaches see a three and a half star, it isn't necessarily a three and a half star running back or quarterback because those are division one level capable, ready to contribute possibly right away. And I don't think that that is the same as far as kickers, punters, and snappers go. So with that being said, you know, uh, the, the consistency in the brand is where I want to go with it. I think that you were someone that was consistent. You put out all the time when you were coming up videos of training, process videos, if you will, videos of you struggling, working on an area of weakness. So then on Friday night, you could perform, you could execute at the highest of levels. I think too many kids think that the more often they, they go get evaluated, the more they'll improve. And I do think there is a value in competing. I do think there is a value in, in being in an environment where this counts. If I don't make this, I'm not going to be ranked as high. However, I think there's exponential growth in between those events to find someone, not myself, but someone who thinks a little more objectively, who's willing to tell you your weaknesses and not, ne not necessarily, you know, elaborate only on your strengths. It's not a matter of how good I make you feel. It's a matter of how good I, how good I make you. You know, right. So adding on to that thought, being a recruitable specialist is another topic that we discussed last week. And I wanted to share with the audiences, what does it mean to be recruitable and not necessarily obvious, not necessarily, you know, we're at the mid season point in most states in high school. Uh, in addition to your mid season highlight tape, what else does it mean to be a recruitable specialist? So obviously we just talked about training. And, you know, I think I want to unpack that just a little bit more if you're good with it. Um, just being able to just focus on that training piece and understanding like through your weaknesses, that's where you're made strong, right? Because if you can hit a 4-0, 75-yard ball on kickoff, that's phenomenal. But like if you want to be a well-rounded specialist, you need to be consistent on field goals as well. And I think that competition in training is so crucial. Kind of talking back again to like there would be weeks where I'd go train with Austin McGinnis and we would literally want to fight each other on the field. You know, there'd be days where we go out and play pig and it'd be like you'd hit 50 balls and you look at them and you'd be like, dude, this is just ridiculous. And there'd be days where you go train with Cameron Dicker, Josh Rowland, guys from Texas. And you just you look at the end of it and you're like, wow, you know, I'm really better because I competed with these guys. And I think at the end of the day, like practice makes permanent. Right. People miss it all the time. They say practice makes perfect. And obviously perfect practice makes perfect. But I think practice makes permanent. My old president in my high school used to tell me that all the time. And I didn't get it. So probably about halfway through college. 
So understanding that the way you practice is the way you're going to play means that the way you practice life is the way you're going to live, right? So if you ignore a bunch of your holes and your weak spots in the way you live, it's going to show up when the lights hit you, when, when challenges arise, when things get tough, your weaknesses will rise to the top and people will see that. And, you know, Navy SEALs talk about all the time you revert back to your training. I think if you ignore those weak spots, if you ignore the fact that your jab's a little too long or you step high on your second step or whatever it may be, like that's going to show up on game day. Same thing with life. So I think kind of like leaning back into being a recruitable specialist, obviously, obviously right off the bat, coaches all over across the country, whether it's D1 all the way to NAIA, look at film hours and hours a day. Like they got people that sit up here that are students at our school that will watch film from anybody from Miami, Florida, all the way to Spokane, Washington, and anywhere in between. So like from that aspect, like everything gets looked at. And as a specialist, you get people to look at film and they have no idea what they're looking at for most of the time, right? People do not want to see your best balls. Just like, is they're going to go and look at a running back and they're going to see, okay, I'm going to look at their cutups. No, they're not looking at your highlights of that 180-yard play where you had the massive gap that you just ran through and went all the way to score. Yeah, they'll look at that for a second. But they want to see your best plays compared to your worst plays. Is your ceiling really high, but is your floor also high with it? Meaning when you mess up, is it really, really bad? Or are you just kind of like, okay, you made the block, but it wasn't a phenomenal block. You didn't stay on for too long. And the same thing goes with kicking. Are you hitting the ball out of bounds all the time? Are you missing your spots on punt? Are you missing field goals? Are you missing PATs? Are they getting blocked? Are they low? So they want to see that continual film. They want to see that eight balls in a row from 45 and in, right? The 60-yard field goal is cool, but, like, if you turn the audio off and you're hitting behind a 25-yard breeze, like, I really hope you can make that field goal. That's phenomenal. Good for you. But, you know, at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, that film is really crucial. But at the end of the day, being a recruitable specialist, you just got to be yourself, be authentic with these coaches, have conversations with them, learn about their schools, learn about the way that they coach their specialists, learn about the process that they put them through on a game week. What's off season look like? What's it look like in the weight room? Are you treated like a specialist or are you treated like an athlete? And kind of talking about that, like Ty Long, God bless that guy. He, he taught me so much growing up through high school and going through college. And he still talks to me today. He still keeps me updated on stuff. But one of the things that really stuck with me throughout everything is when you train, don't train as a specialist, train as an athlete. Go earn respect in the weight room. Go earn respect in the classroom. Go work your tail off just to be an athlete, to be a football player with the guys on your team. And what that means is go and work as hard as everybody else and then some. So don't just put 135 on the bar because they expect you to do 135 on bench. Go put 205 on the bar. Go put 225 on the bar. Go push yourself to the next level because you're a guy on the football team. You're a member of this team for a reason. Go do that. You can start that at high school level. If guys look out and see you training extra, it's going to mean more on Saturdays. It's going to mean more on Friday nights when the lights turn on. They're going to respect you. They're going to trust you to be a good specialist. And kind of summing that all up into one deal is just doing your best when your best is expected. And as a specialist, you're, your best is expected every single time you step on the field, right? So you get one shot, one kill to be a specialist, right? You don't get to go out there and have 80 snaps, you probably get seven to eight. So with that, every single time you go out to train, that's got to be the mindset. It's got to be the mindset of one shot, one kill. I got to hone in on my skill because it's so specific. And I think that's really important with regards to training, with regards to being recruitable and just being in regards to being a good specialist and being an athlete. 
There's so much you said that is important there, and I'll just reflect on a couple of things. The, the 10 names or so you've mentioned so far outside of yourself share a lot of similarities with you. Uh, they, they left no stone unturned, which we'll talk about next, but they, they ensured that they were recruitable, quote unquote, uh, not only by their game film, but like you said, the, the frequency in which they were out independently or with a coach in a training setting where they were working on something to hone their craft. They were focusing on the weakness, right? They were filming the focus of the weakness and showing the progress in which they're trying to get to their goals. I think that that really stands out to me. Another thing you said that really resonates is I am really sick of seeing 60 yard field goals, one rep. How many times did it take that individual to hit that flawless 60? And more importantly, when was the last time you saw a 60 attempted? I, I will say Joey Sly hadn't had an attempt yesterday, but it was an historic moment. Historic. It wasn't a moment that occurs weekly or once a season. It's occurred a few times in the history of the NFL. So to think that you were going to have that opportunity, I think that's, I think it's slim to none, the chances of that occurring. However, I do think there's full expectation that 37 yard right hash or 43 yard left hash is going to be one of your first attempts on a national stage, if if you get the chance to play there. And the only way you're gonna get that chance is if you can showcase that ability through training, through game film, maybe a competition event. And lastly, on your point that you just discussed, what I like about you and what I like about winners is they hang around other people that live their lives in a similar fashion. Winners like winners, right? They stay as far away from possible from losers. And I, and, I, and I know that sounds terrible, but I'm trying to be matter of fact here that winners want to be around those that are like-minded because it's the only way that they're going to sharpen each other. Like you said earlier, it's the only way that they're going to mold each other and push each other. And we're going to find out maybe on that given day that you may not be the best guy on the field, but winners will reflect on that moment. And that is a catalyst that usually oftentimes brings growth on the next moment. You know, they're not going to dwell on the loss. They're going to use it as a fuel to fire the next moment in which I can go and beat, you know, individual A, you know, through a game of pig or whatever the moment is. And I think that very few people have that in them. But I think that those people that do have that in them don't oftentimes showcase that. And I think that's the utmost importance. And you mentioned not just showcasing that mentality and that mindset, that mantra on a field. It permeates and it should permeate through the weight room through the classroom, if you're involved in church, if you're involved in a communal event, all of these things help us become better specialists and most importantly, better people. So moving along, we talked about attention to detail and I would love for you to share something that perhaps people don't think you guys take into consideration when you are combing through and sifting through state by state, class by class, position by position, how are you differentiating who in fact we are warm to who, who we're cold with and who we're indifferent about because we're just not sure. Right. So before I kind of dive into that, just a, a quick story about attention to detail that's kind of funny related. So we're training down, I think it was in Pensacola. I couldn't remember what year it was in, but we were up in the dorms at West Florida and Coach Lundy allowed me to come into his room and play uh, PlayStation. I think it was a PS3 or PS4 at the time. And I was sitting there playing Batman. I think it was Arkham City or whatever it was. And man, I left the room and I remember specifically before he left the room, he said, Hey man, when you leave, close the door behind you. And I was like, 
yeah, for sure. And I'm like in the middle of playing game and I'm like, okay, heck yeah. And I got super into this game, eventually ended up leaving the room. And what did I do? I left the door wide open. You know that, I mean, then 30 minutes later, Coach Lundy comes back. Fortunately enough, nothing was stolen from his room, but I got a nice earful. And at the time I was like, whoa, man, I just left your door open. I get it. I know there's a lot of stuff in there, but man, you don't have to rip me like that. And, you know, looking back, I think I'm really appreciative of that moment because it still stands out to me to this day. The detail of me closing that door was more than just closing that door, right? There's a lot of stuff that was valuable. He trusted me with that opportunity to play his PlayStation, which sounds like nothing, right? But at the end of the day, how you do anything is how you do everything. And at that moment, I didn't close the door. So, like, moving forward from that, learning from that, and chewing on that as I grew up, everything you do, is, it's got to be like that. It's got to be extremely specific and attention to detail. You got to dot your I's and cross your T's, like you said earlier. And I think when it comes to being recruited, when it comes to being a good athlete at college, high school, middle school, whatever it may be, you have to have attention to detail. And that comes from your Twitter presence. That comes from your conversations with people at a local store, with your janitor, your high school, wherever it may be. Like how you do anything is how you do everything. And at our level, we look at how our guys go to study hall. Are they early? Are they late? Do they treat people with respect? Do they go to church on Sunday? Or do they do extracurriculars on campus that keep them involved in the student body? Are they people that you can trust? Are they people that, like our coaches say, are they somebody that I would let my daughter date? If they can pass that test, you're probably going to get recruited pretty fast around here. You're going to get looked at at least once or twice, right? And I think at the end of the day, um, all that stuff adds up, right? If you can do a lot of really small things well, you can do the big things well because you put those things together. And as funny as that story is, kind of looking back at it, it was kind of a, it's one of those deals that I wish I knew the depth of it then as I do now, right? Because you get into college and you get all these different things thrown at you from social life to academics to being far away from home and whatever it may be, that you miss that attention to detail that you might have had when all these other things are taken care of, right? So at some point in time, you might fall off, but somebody like a guy that you trained all the time, that attention to detail was his his niche, right? Was Nick Vogel, like guy super early in his career was had a super high ceiling, but he wasn't consistent. And he has all over the place all the time, but he started honing down. He started locking in. And as he locked in more and more and more, he became one of the greatest specialists that's ever going to walk through UAB's halls. You know, I think that guy's extremely special because he paid attention to the details. That says a lot about his character and who he was off the field as much as it does on the field. Yeah, and I just want to touch on that. I think that the masses, if you will, not just football, but just just a run-of-the-mill person in the United States right now, I think is missing that point. I think that they don't understand that your day starts with making your bed, for example. You know, if you if you leave an untidy bed, it just permeates from there into other things. If you have a process, which we're going to talk about next, you know, process people versus outcome people. If you have a process, you have a leg up. I'm not saying that you're going to be a better kicker because you have a morning process tomorrow. However, like I said about permeation, that stuff trickles down into other ways of attacking or thinking about every given situation. If you are careless about something as small as making your bed, I would venture to say you are going to be careless about something that's more important that might affect the rest of your day and ultimately the rest of your life. So I, Thank you for sharing that. I completely forgot. But yeah, James and I shared a lot of summer moments. You know, we were dorm buddies, if you will, for weeks when you amount to the times that we've been on summer camps together. And 
I know him so well, and I, that's why I really wanted to bring you on today is because I, I saw at a young age that you were, in fact, all of these things. And I'm not saying that you were perfect by any means, but you were an anomalous kid. You were an outlier to me. You stood out to me, and I knew. I saw success in the way you did the littlest of things, and it was a direct reflection of how you performed on the field, which was the purpose of me being with you. But again, back to the small dorm routines and being first and what you put in your body. And you mentioned it earlier, we had weights in these summer camps where we actually put you in pools and had you lift weights. And you were one of the first and one of the very last to be in and out of those environments. You were also one of the first to be on the field and taking care of your body. You know, you'd roll out. I, I, I can remember like yesterday, you were one of the pioneers of the kids that I trained that had a foam roller. So leading into it, you know, I, I want you to talk about process people. I want you to talk about the difference between a process person and someone who's an outcome person, because in my opinion, there's more of a prevalence of outcome people these days, especially who want to play big time sports. So could you please just delve into the thought of what it means to you to be a process person, not necessarily an athlete, because that, again, that affects your, your athletics, but process people to James Sherman mean what? Sure. Um, and I kind of think this connects back to that foam rolling deal. Cause you know, we talked about relationships and community and the people that you're around. And I picked that up from Caleb Surges. I mean, Caleb Surges takes about an hour and a half to warm up. And, you know, I learned from that because being a 16, 17 year old guy, you can go out on the field and just jump around a couple of times and start swinging your leg like crazy. But he taught me what it looked like to dive into that process, to fall in love with the process of going through a warm up and going through a routine and getting right. And, you know, I'm trying to be a process driven person. We talk about stacking days in our program a lot. And it sounds like kind of foreign concept, but stacking days is really just falling in love with the process. What that means is like you talked about making your bed each morning. If you can make your bed each morning, make it every morning is the best of your ability, right? It all adds up. And if you can make your bed the best in the morning, and then you can go make a really good breakfast, and then you can go have a really good workout, and it keeps going through your days, and it adds up, right? Maybe like you said, the first time you make your breakfast, it doesn't really say that much, or whatever it may be. Or maybe the first time you work out, and you look in the mirror, and you're like, okay, like that didn't really serve too much purpose. But over time, you keep doing the same things over and over again, a little bit better each day. Maybe it's 1% one day, maybe it's 2% the other day. Maybe you ebb a little bit and you go down and you pick back up. But over the time and over that process, you start to see the fruits of your labor. And I think just falling in love with that process means a lot with regards to who you are as a person off the field, right? And I think that can be said about anything, whether you read one book one day and then the next week you read another book or maybe you read a pod, listen to a podcast or read an article online the way that you get better in everything that you do is by taking those small processes and falling in love with it. And I think our head coach does an amazing job at this, right? We're not having the season that we wanted to this year, but each day he comes to the stadium and he works his tail off and he has this energy and his vibe about him that he falls in love with his process. You can trust him with it. And we talk about chopping wood and carrying water. And we talk about all those keywords and phrases and all this stuff that you talk about. But at the end of the day, like, being very authentically process driven is something that's hard. When you look at the mirror and you go, okay, let me be authentic and real with myself. If you can fall in love with that one step and then the next step and then the next step, you're going to, you're going to reap the benefits of it over time. And I think if you don't grow weary while you're working through those things, you're going to see the results in the end. And that's not to say that you're going to be perfect. Like you said, 
but striving for that perfection is something that carries so much weight. And I think for me personally, like going through my career at college was not anything that I expected to be. You know, every freshman comes in and goes, oh, I'm going to make it to the NFL. Oh, I'm going to be all American, all this stuff, right? And that's not to say that I didn't fall in love with the process. I learned, I learned how to fall in love with the process when the results weren't even there. Going to work each day and still missing field goals, still getting blocked, still doing whatever it may be. Granted, I did have some success when I played, but I learned a lot more about myself playing football than about anything else. So with that being said, being able to learn that and take that off the field allowed me to be a better student, allowed me to be a better son, will eventually allow me to be a better father simply based off the fact that I learned what it looked like to do that process and fall in love with it and then eventually get those results after a long period of time. In your talk just now, I really thought of Ricardo Allen. He is, by definition, a a process person entirely. I had the fortune to coach him in high school, and we helped him get to Purdue. He was actually the fourth kid on our team taken that year to Purdue. John Lincolnheimer, as you know, was higher recruited. Uh, He was the third guy. We had two receivers that were four stars. So we had four kids go to Purdue in one year. I think it was 09. He obviously had the card stacked against him, you know, and I don't think that had he been an outcome oriented person that he would have survived. In fact, of the four guys, two years later, he was the only gentleman from mainland high school that was still on the Purdue roster and he was starting. And the following year, after his first year starting, he was named a captain on the defensive side. He still played special teams. He, he embraced that and he knew in the long term that that transition to Sundays, he must be exceptional on that third of the game that you and I play. So that being said, I think that he put first things first, right? Prioritization of time is critical. And one of my favorite quotes, and I think he's original with this, and I could be wrong, but I'm going to use it as a Ricardo Allen quote right now, is he said, we all have the same 24 hours in a day. How are you going to use them? Don't use it as an excuse that I may be further along in my process than yours. Use me as a motivation, if you will. Because if you don't, it's going gonna, it's gonna to bring you down. It's going to bring you down further. And I like what you said about adversity. I don't know if you actually used the term adversity when you just talked, but you mentioned adversity indirectly. You know, you said right away, you know, I had expectations of how my first year would go. And we all do. We all have expectations when we transition into anything. And I think most of us will agree that it's never exactly how we perceived it to be. And oftentimes it's much harder. There's pitfalls. And some guys don't recover out of, the, out of those pitfalls. And I think that that is the difference between being process-oriented and outcome-oriented. The outcomes, the fruits of your labor, like you mentioned, they're going to come. But they're only going to come through how you handle the bad times. And there's going to be a few of you guys in the same boat. They're going to be in those bad times. And it's the ones that embrace those bad times, grow from those bad times, and remember those bad times because they're going to happen again and I'm going to be better at getting out of that situation the second time around. How do you feel about that? You know, Josh Metcalf wrote a book named Burn Your Goals, and he talks about first things first. And he talks about forgetting what the outcome is and just really focusing on the process. And I think that's something that, I mean, it says a lot about your character and who you are. And we could talk about that for hours and hours and hours, right? Yeah. But like when it comes down to it, if you can do it when everything's right, when everything's good in your life, when all the settings are perfect, when the grass is a certain height and your holder puts it exactly where it's supposed to, and there's no wind and it's 75 degrees and sunny. Okay. But what about the days when it's 32 degrees when your holder puts laces back and somebody doesn't block off the edge of the line and 
a dude's diving across your face and you're getting the ball off in one, two. Like, can you make that kick? And I think the same thing goes about life. When, when things are hitting you in the face, how do you respond, right? Because I think there's a lot of stuff that can happen in your life. But if you focus on your response to those events that happen to you, you'll get the outcome that you want. And I think when you focus solely on that response to the circumstances that you place yourself in, you're going to find yourself being in a better position at the end of the day than you are if you don't, right? Because as much as you want to focus on things that you can't control, you can't control them. And we talk about it with our specialists all the time about controlling the controllables. We talk about that with regards to study hall, with regards to relationships with people, with regards to meals, whatever it may be. Like your nutrition is only going to be as good as you can make it, right? You have a budget of your time. You got a budget of your money. How are you going to budget that time and your money to make yourself in the best position that you can from any and every standpoint? Could you finish the show? I, I'd like to ask you, and I know this is candid, but I, I really would like a candid response. Let's say hypothetically you guys were in need of a 22 long snapper. Okay. Sure. What do you think that long snapper needs to hear from someone like you uh, to give him the best chance of separating himself outside of what we've already mentioned? So to give yourself the best chance to be recruited at Texas State, first and foremost, you got to be able to take care of your academics. You know, I think as a specialist coming to a university that's Division One, that's FBS and the Sunbelt Conference, you have to be able to take care of your academics. Don't want to be an academic liability. And I know that goes without saying, but we have to mention it. Right after that, you have to be extremely strong in the weight room. You got to be somebody that's an athlete that snaps. You don't just be like a long snapper that goes out and that can do some athletic things every now and then. You have to be pretty athletic. And I think James Winchester with the Chiefs is obviously an anomaly. He's a freak, right? But that's a guy that you should model your game after, right? He's an athlete. He is something that's very special because he fell in love with the process. And to be a long snapper at the next level, you have to fall in love with that process. So for us, like, if you're a high character guy with a high ceiling and you're consistent over and over again, we're going to want you to come to our program. And I know that's a lot, right? But at the level that we're at, you can't miss on a long snapper. You just can't do it, right? Absolutely. No, I, I think you're right. And I think, in, you know, from when I played uh, 20, 21 years ago to when you played, even to now, it, it's, it's getting more and more competitive, right? Kids are getting better at their craft. And I think what, what we, how we split hairs, especially you, is do you look the part? Sustainability, too. I think that it's not just a matter of looking the part, although that is important. Uh, I think it, it also, your, your presence in the weight room and the care for your body, like James Sherman has done with the, with the preparation of all the little things I do prior to going to train or prior to going to kick in a game, I think that keeps you healthy. And if you're not healthy, you're not serviceable, you're not valuable and you get replaced. We don't have time at your level to give you time to recover because of your negligence and how you cared for yourself or built yourself for that matter. So I wanna finish the show by saying thank you so much for your time, James Sherman. Yeah, no, it's been a thrill, man. It's been good catching up. It's good hearing your voice again, man. Just really diving through some things. Yeah, I could you, if you don't mind, I'd like the audience to know ways they can get a hold of you because I think there are some guys that would most definitely like the opportunity to be evaluated by you um, to see if they can, in fact, maybe one day play for the Texas State Bobcats. Sure. So my Twitter and my Instagram handle are at James Sherman forty three. So that's my name, James Sherman four three. And then my email, you can shoot me an email at JTS. 114 at txstate.edu. And if you can't get that together, you can just go on the website, Texas State Bobcats, and just click on my link right there on my bio. 
Yeah, I actually visited your your profile today. It's very impressive. You get a chance, go check out James Sherman's profile on the Texas Bobcats website. I want to thank you guys for tuning in again to the Fourth Down Focus. Again, this is Dan Lundy. I'm the founder of Fourth Down U. You can find me in several ways. Anywhere on social media, my tag handle, if you will, is 4THDOWNU. That's at Fourth Down U. Our website is fourthdownu.com. We have a plethora of information on how to get better, uh, how to train with us, and just ideas and thoughts that we talk about on the podcast. Have a wonderful day, and I look forward to seeing you guys real soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.